Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. Finishing up the week with Mark Greeny and Joel Turner. Got some highlights for Mark. He is the author of The Gray Man. Um, probably seen that movie on Netflix. Obviously, the books are a lot different. He's written like eight of those. Um, discusses a lot of the writing process. Getting into that. So if you're into writing, that's uh, some interesting parts. What do you got? Highlights, Todd? Oh, this one was cool, man. I enjoyed hearing about his just imposter syndrome. I think a lot of creatives have that. So there's a bullet point there. Roger Ebert's screenplay. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Right. And making books with audio and noises and different actors for when you listen to him on Audible. That was pretty cool, too. Mm-hmm. And then for Joel Turner, um, Shot IQ System, which if you're into shooting or archery, um, precision movements, he has like a breakdown for it. And then some SWAT team events, some crazy-ass stories in there. Yeah, talking about not being in the moment and just reacting, I think was probably the coolest point and they talked about that a lot of just really how to control your anxiety in those high stretch high stress situations so let's get into it brah you are listening to the joe rogan experience review podcast we find little nuggets treasures valuable pieces of gold in the joe rogan experience podcast and pass them on to you perhaps expand a little bit we are not associated with joe rogan in any way think of us as the talking dead to joe's walking dead you're listening to the joe rogan experience review what a bizarre thing we've created now with your hosts Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one Two, of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Now, I was interested to hear a lot of your um, feedback on Mark Greenery because, <clears throat> you know, you're a writer. You've been publishing a magazine, Bomb Snow Magazine, for how many years? BombSnow.com. 15 years, buddy. Maybe yeah. close to 16 now. A long time. Ever so, since college. So, you know, when, I, when I'm when i listening to uh, a writer come on and talk about the process, and mostly what I hear is just, like, how you need to be consistent. You mm-hmm. sit down, they, they give themselves, like, a word prompt, and they go for it. Obviously, with stand-up comedy, it's a little different. That's probably more on the end of writing that I've done. You can't give yourself, like, a word limit. You're lucky to get any kind of jokes, and everyone has different processes for that but there was there was a consistency that needed to happen you know it was like multiple times a week i had to sit down and i'm like okay blank sheet in front of me and start putting some ideas together and it's it's hard yeah well without a deadline i mean i was laughing when he said that because the guy's written what like 30 something books or yeah it's crazy almost two a year or something and, you know, he didn't get published until later in life. He always had imposter syndrome, which I think a lot of creatives have that. But what was most interesting to me with his creative process, and I can totally relate to this, is that if I don't have a deadline, it will not get done. And he was laughing to himself about it, saying, hey, if I didn't have the deadlines on all these Gray Man series books, then they would have never gotten done. I'd still be on my first book. Mm-hmm. And the dude's written so many books now. It yeah. just needs a deadline. So I I hear that one loud and clear. I relate to that if I don't have a hard deadline. And the other thing is 
you know, he has a deadline from his publishers, which is important, right? He's not making the deadline himself. The problem I get into with my writing process is we create our own magazine and there's no one telling us that it has to be done by this date. We're creating the deadline. So even though there's a deadline for my process, it's it's still hard to hit because it's kind I of can flexible. push. It's a little flexible. I mean, the, if we have like a party or an event and we put it out to the world, like, hey, we're going to have a magazine release party, that's kind of a hard deadline, right? So that helps. You have to have a hard deadline, though. I think a lot of creatives need that, or else you will just sit and stare at the fucking blank page and go watch Netflix or go work out or do all the other things that you're going to productively procrastinate your way through life and <laughs> not get your the stuff you need to get done. Do you think after listening to Mark that um, it could maybe change your process if you put harder deadlines on? And I mean, there's so much that goes into the magazine. I obviously just watch you from the outside. I'm here at the studio, but that's not my job. I do podcasting. But you've got so many moving pieces that kind of have flexible deadlines in themselves that I could imagine it's probably pretty hard to have, like, this is the date. But do you think that from hearing him talk and and also knowing how prolific he has been, Mm -hmm. which has really benefited him, absolutely, that that you could hone that process at all? I think the best way for me to hone it is have other deadlines from other clients, right? We're not just creating a magazine. We We also have other clients that we're working with. So scheduling those out those are hard deadlines right Mm -hmm. and because of those hard deadlines we actually have to hit our deadline a little bit more consistently on our own magazine right so that will definitely help yes and i think to my point with greeny with if those people if those publishers weren't giving those deadlines and he was doing it himself then like he said he wouldn't have gotten anything done so i need other clients to have deadlines for me so that my deadlines have to be a little bit more consistent, right? So I'm not screwing up projects for other people I've promised stuff on. Right. Yeah. I wonder how it affects the overall product in terms of having a deadline, right? Because like you said, it's a creative process. He has to come up with these stories of the gray man, right? This Mm -hmm. kind of like superhuman badass that can just whoop everyone's ass. He's like a Jason Bourne type character. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if he didn't have the deadlines, he'd only be on two books. But would those books then be that much better? Because he's, he, in a sense, he's just allowed stories to come out when they're ready in himself. Or does that pressure actually kind of combine? I think the pressure helps. I, I think it's the same thing. You just have to get started. As a creative, once people start, they'll get focused. It's the starting, like the blank page, like you said. If you're staring at a blank page and you can't get something out, you got to wait to just start writing. And even if it's shit at first, it's going to get better once you start. And then I think no matter what, deadline or no deadline, I think once he gets into it, just like most creatives, they get excited, ideas start coming to him. It reminds me of Stephen Pressfield. What he says, it's like the muse will come in, the flow will start, you just have to fight the resistance. And they didn't talk much about resistance. I'm actually surprised Rogan didn't bring that up. Yeah, it is kind of interesting that he didn't bring some of that up, to be honest, because it's it's so directly related. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what Pressfield was writing about, period, right, is 
the is fighting process. that fighting through the resistance. Well, he he would make himself right every morning, right? He had mm-hmm. he'd sit down at his desk. He'd you know he had his routine. I can't remember exactly what his routine was, but it was sitting down at a desk. I think at like nine a.m. every morning, and just starting to write. I I think everyone and and Greeny mentioned this as well as having being insecure as a writer as a creative. You know, he has this imposter syndrome, but he was saying he hates 90%. 90% of the time, he hates what he's written until like maybe the last, you know, before he turns it in, he kind of maybe starts honing, you know, the editing process and changing things a little bit. But that imposter syndrome is really hard for him, man. And he said he's always had it. I mean, he mentioned that he was missing, uh, missing, not interviews, but um, when his agent would have like something set up for him to go talk to a publisher, he'd stay in his hotel room. I mean, wow. And to think how successful this guy is now with that bad, you know, that kind of social anxiety looming over him, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, he worked through it somehow. I was laughing because he was a single guy, what, till he was 30... Nine or something, mm-hmm. and now he has two stepkids, a wife, two dogs, and he's like, I don't know what happened. I got so stressed. Yeah. His doctor's like, dude, you just need to work out. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got a lot on your plate, bro. I mean, he was working in a bar till he, you know, well into his 30s. I mean, that the responsibility change there is huge. And, you know, this is the life he wants. He wanted to be an author that's respected and has all these opportunities working um, with Tom Clancy, one of his heroes. I mean, he's got to do some amazing things and having multiple movies made of your work, big deal. But yeah. it's also like, you know, in some ways, like, care for what you wish for. Because, you know, this is like, in a sense, the life he would want, the dream life. And with it comes a lot of stress. Once that ball starts moving, he can't not write books now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He can't not keep up with the things that he's doing. He has to. No, I mean, I'm sure he's under contract for years for the series that he's making. No doubt. Now, do you find a similar thing with your magazine? Like, let's say um, you're about to go to print, you're 98% done, mm-hmm. and then you just look at it and you're like, it's all horseshit. Because I've, I feel like when people make a really good product, book, magazine, whatever, mm-hmm. like what makes it so good is that they're highly critical of themselves all the way through. Rogan talks about that constantly with stand-up. He's his own worst critic. Absolutely. All creatives are, aren't they? You, well, the good ones, I would imagine. I, it is never finished, right? It's never finished. And that's why those deadlines are so important. Um, I think for me, I could spend another three weeks when the magazine's 99% done and has to go to the printer the next day, I would love to be able to spend more time every single time. Like, it never feels done. Um, but, you know, that's just part of the creative process, man. Well, that... Okay, so that's part of the process, is it? That's that's how you get... When I say part of the process, I just mean I think all creatives are never... It's never good enough, right? It's never good enough. I think... 
I mean, that's me just talking out loud. I'm not, you know, speaking with creatives every single day, but most of the creatives I know are very hard on themselves. Well, they, they, something that Mark said reminded me of you as well when he said, you know, you you read through the book right before you send it to the editor and then he looks at it and then there's someone else that checks to make sure the words, you know, everything's good. Copy editor. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they still find some words that are wrong. In yeah. how many thousand, there's like three that are in the wrong place. And, uh, and I've seen you do that. As soon as you get the magazine back from the printer, you just like... You just go that your phone should be on vibrate. Okay, you're a professional. Switch it out, bud. It's on silent. <laughs> but yeah, you'll find words right away. You're like, damn it, that one's wrong. Oh, I do that it. That's wrong. I do it every time I read a book, too. Yet I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is great. Like this whole magazine looks fantastic. But my my eyes are not you're there to like find the imperfections. Whereas you know, as just a fan of Bomb Snow, I can just look at it and go, Oh, I love this. I love this issue, this article, and these pictures, and I'm looking for the good bits. Well, that's good to hear, and I hopefully most people are just looking at the photos anyways. They're probably not reading it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pro- Yeah, it's true. I mean, we always say we like to hide meaningful stories behind pictures of you know fun things like snowboarding, skiing, surf, art, mm-hmm. lots of fun things. And then if you dig in and you start reading, there's a lot of meaningful stories in there and long format stuff. And, but you're right. When I, when I get that magazine back from the copy editor and our editor, and we could read, we could both read over we've actually had this happen before. The three of us have read the same story one after another. And we missed in the title, we missed a, a word. It was spelled wrong. Huh? Howley, which is a Hawaiian word for white boy, basically. Right, it's for. We spelled it H O A L E, and it's supposed to be H A O L E. We all missed it, and this is in the title of the of huh. the story. It's the headline of the story, and it went to print, and we we're just laughing about it. Like, how did we miss this? So you're always going to find those things. I think the important thing is, I don't want to say good enough. You say this a lot, like it's good enough. It needs to just get out. But I think a lot of creatives stall, and I've done this before. It's never. When it's never good enough, then it never gets done or it never gets out, right? I do this with my There's newsletter. There's like a perfectionism aspect to The it. perfectionism will kill the, the process because it won't get out ever. It's it never like, going to get done. It seems like perfectionism is so closely connected to procrastination. Anybody that ever describes themselves as a uh, perfectionist to me mm-hmm. it, it, are the biggest procrastinators I know. Yeah, and it's this worry that it's not good enough, right? It's this worry that what you're putting out is is a part of you because you're an artist, whether you're a writer or you're creating a magazine or you're creating a painting, right? But it's it's fun to realize that, like you said, most people, 90% of the people either reading it or looking at it or flipping through the pages or looking at a piece of art on the wall will never notice the imperfections that the person who created it will notice every time. Of course. No matter what. Yeah, yeah. So just get it out and move on to the next. It's almost when Rogan always talks about not looking at the comments. It's like, why read the magazine more than once and find more imperfections? It's just going to upset you. It's already printed. It's already out to the people. No one else has ever pointed out, hey, did, did you see that spelling mistake in the last Bomb Snow magazine? No one has ever said that to me other than maybe one of the writers who wrote it and it's like well 
Okay, we both missed that. Okay, mm-hmm. we're going to have to do better next time. Maybe we need to read through it more than once. Or maybe just not procrastinate until, you know, two or three days before you go to print. Maybe read the entire magazine weeks before you go to print and really focus on that. Because, you know, when you're when you're on deadline, you're stressed and you're going to miss things. You're always going to miss things when you're tired. You're always going to miss things when you're stressed out. I mean, they... To bring it back to Greeny, man, he talks about that stress, and Rogan's always talking about how, like you said, he's stressed out on um, stage a lot, and this kind of goes into our next guest, Joel, but you know, getting through that anxiety, somehow having a way to breathe or think about breathing or think about not being scared because it's going to ruin the entire thing. You can't be on stage scared. You're going you're gonna to bomb. Yeah. And it you know, you can't really be scared when you're writing. You have to get into that flow somehow and get it out. And well, Mog said it was affecting his memory, right? They, he had some stresses. Yeah, you know, his with life his family. Changed. Yeah, family's a huge responsibility when you haven't had one. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of things to organize, plus the deadlines. And he's like, my memory is failing. I thought it was cool that. Um, Rogan was like, yeah, let's get you some Alpha Brain. Got, got like, him on some nootropics. Yeah, he probably gave him a year's supply or more. I mean, it makes Rogan me want to try company. it. Have you tried it? Um, I, you know, I did get a bottle when it very first came out. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, yeah, I think I took like the whole first month. I don't really remember the effects, but I do know plenty of people that take it. And they do swear by it. I mean, yeah. yesterday we had a meeting. Yeah. And a friend of ours said that he's been stressed a lot recently, and he's just right. started grad school, and it, th- there's been a bit of a struggle and adjustment, and he's been getting some brain fog, and he started taking it, and he said very quickly it made like a noticeable difference. Mm. There's like some lion's mane and some mushrooms and stuff in there too, right? I think, yeah, it's like all that nootropic stuff. St. John's wort or something too, supposed to help with concentration, and yeah, there's all sorts of... Stuff. I, mean, I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't work. I'd recommend it to anybody that is um, getting a lot of brain fog. You know, it it reminded me of sometimes you need to step back and get help, right, from other people who are maybe, you know, have that memory or are a little bit more excited to maybe get you through some of those times where you're not feeling up to writing or you're not feeling excited about it. Uh, Greeny was you know, chatting about, you know, liking a lot of the stuff that happened in the movie, but also disliking it, but then remembering, hey man, this is my writing. And some of the stuff that they changed in this movie is actually better than the storyline that I came up with it. And some of it is worse and just rolling with it. Like, hey man, this is really cool that my work of art that was on the printed page is now a full on movie with Ryan Gosling. I thought it was a cool movie. It was a cool idea. I didn't even know when I watched it that there was this like series of books. And it does seem like it, it's got to be difficult to go from a book to a movie. You know, because they just can't, they have to squeeze so much in. <clears throat> and what sounds cool in text for your imagination, like, because, you know, as you're reading, you're putting images and a story together. Right. You're like building your own movie in your mind as you mm-hmm. like, kind of read along. It's it's going to look different when you make a movie. Yeah. You know, there's things that they've got to capture your attention with in that two hours or however long the movie is. 
And, you know, a lot of that is visual as well. It doesn't even have to be spoken word or dialogue. I mean, the gray man guy didn't say a lot the whole movie also. <laughs> he was mostly just kind of, how would I describe it? He was just quiet. And it hmm. was just like... I didn't see it. Just kind of like his um, curiosity almost hmm. that, that would come across. I thought it was cool to hear the difference between a movie, right? And then also having his book turned into an audible, you know, a narrated book that you can listen to online and how, but they actually added in different actors um, for the characters. And mm -hmm. so they created different characters. It wasn't just one person reading it. And then also some sound effects and stuff. That's pretty cool. Which is great. It just makes the, it makes the listening more enjoyable. It reminded me of the Beastie Boys um, book that came out. Uh, that must've came out like five years ago, but it was a, you know, it just talked about their life. It was an autobiography of basically the entire band. And each chapter was read by one of their friends or someone who was involved in the actual chapter. So they had talked about like stories that had happened to that, a particular person, and they're reading that chapter. That's a cool. So like Rick it. Rubin was was one of the guys who read a chapter, and you know a ton of people like everyone loves the Beastie Boys, right? If you mm -hmm. don't love the Beastie Boys, we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, it's just cool to see it in different forms. It's like this dude wrote a book, then there's an audible book with different characters and sound effects and stuff to make it interesting and then there's a movie i mean how rad is that yeah and like you brought up the clancy thing and they talked about um stephen king a lot too which joe is always talking about how his books suck after he got sober <laughs> <laughs> well they were different um but you know his process was a lot different than most i mean obviously it was drug induced most of the time for king and his books are amazing Early on, yeah. Early on. Um, but they talked about, my point was, is they talked about how The Shining was so much different than the actual book, and people loved that movie. Yeah. You and, know? And I haven't read the book. King it makes didn't me really read... like it. Who didn't? Stephen King didn't like the he movie. He didn't like the movie, right. Much. Well, because it sounded like they changed the the narrative so much. Yeah. Who was the director of that one? That Stanley guy. Kubrick. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, there's kind of, I don't know if it's like, um, a, 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 an official act, but there's like rumors that Stanley even put things in that were like purposely designed to annoy oh. Stephen King. For example, they're really? driving in in I think a VW Bug, which might be yellow or it might be white. I don't know. But in the okay. novel, it was the other color VW, and it's crashed <laughs> off to the side of the road, and they drive by it. And it's no just in the way. storm. And the idea was really? that the Stanley is just saying to Stephen King, like, oh, that's that's your story. Right. Crashed. And now here's mine. It's kind of Which cool. is freaking awesome because Stanley Kubrick is amazing. He would do something like that too. He he wow. liked liked fucking that's, with things like that. And then so, and then really that whole movie as well, uh, The Shining had a bunch of they even did a documentary that had a bunch of um, uh, kind of set pieces mm. that were like supposed to relate to um, some of the Apollo missions. Like it, there was, there's like a conspiracy with all that. No, too. there's some. I'm looking it up right now. It says, "Here's why Stephen King hates Stanley Kubrick Kubrick's version of The Shining." Uh, let's see. 
Anyways, I think the the documentary was on Netflix, or you can find it, and it's is just about the story and all of the kind of secret coded messages that are put throughout, like the number of the door uh, of the hotel room, and the, the, there was just a bunch of stuff. It was really interesting. But you could imagine as a writer, and you're Stephen King, I mean, you, you're going to love your novels. Of and course. And to see it get changed. I'm just surprised that it gets changed so much. Well, I think that's Kubrick. You know, it's it like you just said, he was taking control. It was almost like he's messing with, with King a little bit. He's like, look, I'm the movie maker here. You're the writer, dude. I bought your script. This is my movie. I'm the freaking man. I'm Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And, I, and it's then, kind of funny. And I think it is, a, you know, Greeny even said it. He was like, look, at the end of the day, I, I sell the rights mm-hmm. and I, I don't put in the contract. Also, you can't change all these different things. He's of like, course. they might not buy it. That's how you don't sell your script. There we go. Well, he says right here, he, the major reason he's he was upset about Kubrick's version is that there's too many discrepancies between the book and the film. One major difference that King disliked was the role of the supernatural in the film. In the book, King heavily focuses on the supernatural forces beyond Jack's control that change him. So the Overlook Hotel is painted as being a supremely evil place, right, in the book. However, in the film, the supernatural forces are downplayed and the evil seems to come directly from Jack. So he changed the entire process. That's of, significant. That's a huge change, right? Yeah. It's like you're turning something around and blaming it on the character instead of the supernatural, which is what was fucking with his brain in the book. Mm-hmm. Still Kinda, great, though. What a movie. Still great. It it actually reminds me of... um. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my favorite movies growing up for whatever reason. I think my buddy's dad had it on film or something, and we watched it. We loved it. It's like seventh grade. But anyways, I read the book later. Like in high school, I ended up reading the book, and I loved the book even more than the movie. But I also loved the movie. And I can see why they did what they did in the movie. A lot of it has has to do with timing, right? You know, a book can have way more information than a movie but look man they're two different they're two different genres yeah, it's, two almost, different it's almost like the only way to make um like a good novel into a show or a movie is to have it be like a mini series you know you've got so 10 episodes longer. yeah it's just that it's like you just need more time and that's hard to kind of fit that stuff in let me ask you this about the tom clancy thing so uh mark never really said why he was brought on you know obviously to help tom like mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. as he was getting older maybe <clears throat> maybe he just needed some support with with writing but um that's kind of interesting that he would bring someone on and then i guess mark just kind of like learned how to write in that style so it continued with the with the kind of same setup yeah well, same characters. He knew the characters. He, I think he said the first book he ever read was a Tom Clancy book when he was 18, mm-hmm. the P- Patriot Games. Right. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize a lot of, like so many writers do that. They actually have other writers help them with series, whether it's for health reasons or getting older, like in Tom's case. Just save some time. Maybe, I mean, it can't be all about money, but I'm sure he's making, still making a pretty penny off those books. Tom Clancy still has his name on him. Well, he's passed away now. Well, right, but, but his family. Yeah. And didn't he mention he's like still works with his wife and has a good relationship with Tom's wife? 
Did he well, he's that? still writing those books. Right. But but you know Tom Clancy's family is getting a lot of money from that. I no mean, doubt. If, yeah. if you were on your deathbed, you're an amazing writer. You're like, shit, man, if I want to keep providing for my family while I'm dead, I'm going to find somebody who can write like me. It's smart. It's a great idea. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it happens a lot more than we know. So what does that mean? We could have Tom Clancy books forever, technically? They could just keep Written those by other stories people. going, right? I mean, you're just using the same characters, right? And he could, Mark could even train up somebody else and then continue on. Yeah. And then it's just, you know. Well, what he mentioned with, uh, was it, they were talking about Batman as well, but they they talked about um, the 007 films, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if James Bond was a person, still, he'd be like 120 years old yeah. or something. And, and we're totally fine with it. And yeah, we Nobody still... Nobody even questions it. They could, I mean, they're replacing Bond right now. I don't think they've picked anybody. But it, yeah, if they pick someone like really young, no one's going to question it. It'd just be like, yeah, of course. Hey, man, just goes to show you make characters that people love. I mean, does that mean somebody is going to take over for J.K. Rowling? I mean, she hasn't made a Harry Potter. She's done making Harry Potter, right? I, I think they're making a new movie. Are they? Based on, um, I think they did like a Broadway show. There and you go. they're bringing them back like older. And there's just too much money there. They're not going to stop doing it. Right. It's a and gold mine. Look, if people are going to buy the books, people are going to buy the books. So if J.K. Rowling, let's say, you know, she gets older and wants to do the same thing, I think it honestly, it just depends on the writer, right? Mm hmm. But it's a cool idea. I mean, people will buy those books, whether they're written by J.K. Rowling or not, because it's just, you're just using the same characters and just creating a new plot. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, I liked, I liked Mark a lot. I like that he, it's really leaning into his, um, you know, workouts and exercise. Like, again, that's an important message for like, hey, how to balance stress yeah, and how to make yourself feel better. And he says, every day, doesn't matter. I work out. I go do something. I don't think about it. I get it done. And it kind of highlights that that is it more important than the writing that he does? I think it's equally as important. He has to do the writing. That's the work. But what gets him there? What gets him clear enough to to get the work done is, you know, he gets that energy out, that anxiety. Yeah. You know? Well, you can't write under stress. You and just when your can't. body feels better and you are physically healthier, you're going to be able to do all the types of work that you do more efficiently. There's Absolutely. just no way around it. I like it. Well, I look forward to his second movie. And, yeah, I think I'm going to check out one of those books i was kind of put off when rogan was like i'm on your eighth book i'm like shit i gotta read eight <laughs> but i don't have to right i can just read a couple and see see how they are but they sound they sound decent i want to check them out all Absolutely. right let's jump over to joel turner good old joel joel well he definitely looks like a cop <laughs> he's got the look if you guys watch the video uh, along with this, then solid mustache. Yeah. Well done, Joel. Well done, Joel. He's getting a lot of critters out there. I'd like to I'd like to know how many critters he's killed. Mm, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say the word critter as much <laughs> as him. Uh critters. I, you know, look, just as someone who didn't know who this guy was and I can appreciate the idea behind you know trying to control your shot 
but it was a little hard to listen to for three hours because they kept going over and over and over. I, I do like what they were talking about, but it, it, it became a little uh, redundant. But look, there was some great stuff in there. But, but you're, you're also not a hunter. Yeah, but my brother is, and I appreciate it. I love eating elk. Mm-hmm. I'll help you carry one out of the woods. I'm just not going to shoot one. Yeah. But I mean, you know, take your brother-in-law, Jake. I shoot bows with him all the time through the summer. Yeah. You know, we do it and we love it. So it really stands out for that because those nuances that they were talking about, like preparing yourself, talking yourself through it. I mean, it's it's hard to kind of explain to somebody what goes on in one of those shots. I mean, well, I mean, I can understand it. Yeah, but I, I think that that's just part of where maybe some people got lost on it. Mm. But it's fascinating. Just uh, even if you're not a hunter and you've never picked up a bow or you don't do any shooting, just to think of that process, like put yourself in that mindset of, especially with bow hunting, you could have been out there for four days of camping and walking around or like just – um, up in a tree stand or just hidden out somewhere just waiting yeah. for this one moment. And then if you miss that shot, how freaking annoying is that? You're <laughs> unlikely to get another one in the day. <laughs> right. You know, you're going to clear out that area and it, there's so much goes into it. And obviously you've practiced a lot, but think about it. Hitting a target is like you can you can rattle off 10 shots in, <clears throat> you know, 30 minutes. Just bang, 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 not even. You're just hitting a target. doesn't mean anything. You just... And every time, you might be, like, right where you need to be. But now, all of a sudden, it's an animal that you've right. waited for. And it's, you know, bugling and the tension. Oh, your adrenaline is spiked. Your heart rate and is you're trying 120. to down. Yeah. And it's super important to have, you know, these processes, like his shot IQ, to be like, okay, everything's hyped, crazy, you know? I'm tense, and now I've got to talk myself through this process to kind of get me there. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, do you have a process for when you're bow hunting? Do you have a talk? I really know. I mean, I think that what I do is I just actively try to tell myself it's just a shot like any other shot. It's just a target. I try to take that pressure off myself. I don't know how effective that is, though. But it seems to kind of calm me down a little bit. I'm like, it's just a shot. Mm-hmm. T- I take shots so all you the are, time. So you it's are telling that to yourself yeah, you ha- while you're you, doing you it. You have to do something. Right. I can't imagine. Um, yeah, I can't. I, I, I just know that I would fuck it up immediately if I didn't speak through something. But... You know, hearing how they do it and how systematic it is, they they create a blueprint for, you know, just walking through all the positions. I think that having something really intent to think about probably does calm you down quite a lot. You got to get rid of the the buck fever, dude. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's it's crazy. Because you see it, and you're like, oh, I may never get this shot again, and then you rush everything. That's so common. It's almost like they should start a new target practice spot, like at an archery place, right, where they have real mountain lions and animals running past you right as you're trying to get ready for your shot. And then you'll be fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, here we go. Let's not tell Bobby before he shoots today that we're going to unleash a mountain lion in front of his target. (laughs) See what happens. I think it might be a big liability (laughs) issue if they did that, but it would be fun to watch it. Hey, you get some decoys, dude. I don't know anything to spike your heart rate. Is it going to make you a better shooter? Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's almost like, you know, what a process could be is, like, you've got to go do some sprint drills, and then when you're, you know, jacked, and your heart rate's through the roof, and you're super pumped, right. then you've got to stop and take a shot. And I bet you'd find it's so different. And that's probably closer to what you're actually going to experience. Okay, so every hunter out there needs to join a biathlon and skate ski to your next target, right? Mm-hmm. There you go. Their yeah. heart rate is jacked, dude. They've just been skiing for like 20 kilometers, and then they have to lay down and hit three rifle shots to the direct you know, bullseye. Yeah, that shit does. I've never so actually do that thought with about it like that. That seems like that would make that so much harder. Yeah, dude. You're what an jacked. odd sport, too. If you think about sports, it's like combining <laughs> two different things that don't seem related at all. I mean, That's I guess weird. maybe this is like how people in freaking Denmark or Sweden or whatever would like hunt in the winter. But it's like the fact that that's an Olympic sport. A winter Olympic sport just seems well, kind of odd. Well, it's like, why isn't there skiing and juggling then? If we're just like combining two things that aren't that related, <laughs> why couldn't there just be that? Hey, skiing and juggling would be fun. Sc- yeah. Scuggling. Scuggling. The roots of biathlon evolved in the Norwegian army during the 18th century, <clears throat> but the sport's more immediate genesis stems from an obscure ski manual prepared for their Russian military in 1912. Ah. Weird. Fun facts. There you go. There we go. I'll be your Jamie today, bud. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, the summer um, event where they, like, they're running, but there's that bit where they have to jump over, the like, a log, and then there's water behind it. It's like a little what? puddle. Yeah, what are you this talking is, about? Dude, this is a what real thing. It's just, like, a long-distance race, but I, they do it on the track. And there's just this bit where they have to jump over like a log, and there's there's like a thing of water. This is not in the Olympics. And they keep running. This is not in the Olympics. I promise it. No way. I promise it. I know breakdancing is now going to be in the Olympics, which is freaking awesome. I will definitely be watching that. We talked about that. Yeah. (laughs) It is, man. I'll look it up. All right. What else about this guy stood out? I think think the biggest thing um, is. We all have this stress response. It's ingrained within us from when we were getting chased by saber-toothed tigers, you know, and it comes up in different situations all the time, whether it's a traffic jam or, you know, your child screaming at you or whatever. I mean, it's it, whatever it is, the stress response is going to be the same and you have to figure out a way to control it, whether you're trying to shoot an animal or, you know, be on stage and have to, you know, do a set and not bomb, you have to figure out a way to, whether it's breathing or telling yourself some sort of mantra to keep you calm, maybe before you get on stage or like doing a bunch of push-ups, like Joe said, anytime he's said this over and over and over, anytime he is so anxious, the biggest cure is to just kick his own ass in the gym. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of relate to this a little bit. It's just you're just getting rid of that anxiety that's bound to happen no matter what. And if you can somehow focus and get into a more meditative state, they didn't call it a flow state, but that's what I'll call it, 
you're going to make a good shot because you're going to be concentrated. Yeah. But you have to have some sort of mantra that you tell yourself, like, okay, pull the bow back, breathe. What did he say? Remy Warren says, be the arrow. That's his mantra. Yeah. So just very Bruce Lee. I think to me, it's cool that that relates to so many other things in life. And Joe was trying to point that out. I think after they, they talked about the same thing for so long, he right. was trying to kind of get something more substantial How it out relates of, to other things. Well, he, you know, Joel said that there's no, he doesn't think there's any natural shooters. There's just natural decision makers. And go. I thought that was really cool. That's it's cool. like the difference between knowing when to do it and the decision has to be an active process. Oh, the event's called the steeplechase. You I must have, have never, seen this. I've never seen that. Dude, it's a real thing. No freaking and way. And it's so odd. It's like, why is there a bit of water and a log <laughs> that you got to jump over in the middle of an event? Yeah, and they anyway. didn't. And they didn't want skateboarding in the Olympics, but they have runners jumping over logs on a track with yeah. water. Sounds like strange. A, a super old event. Anyway, um, maybe the, Frogger will be next. We'll just start dodging cars on the freeway as an Olympic event. That could be. That would be amazing. People would watch the shit out. Real of Real life Frogger. <laughs> got to jump over logs in a river. It sounds hectic. Uh, the SWAT story, Mm. you know, it's always interesting to hear kind of those stories break down. I mean, does it ever become normalized for those guys? Probably not. I mean, that's a wild job. Imagine Mm. how super stressful that is. But, you know, talking, he's on a ladder. He, he, there's a hostage issue. The, this dad has his daughter there. I mean, it's time to kind of make that happen. He can't really reach his rifle for some reason because the angle he's at. So he's like, okay, I got to use my handgun. Right. That's not really that good for for killing things. Not accurate, yeah. Shooting handguns is hard as hell. I mean, it really is very difficult. Well, and and especially You get one that that has like a laser sight on it, you know, or like the red dot. It's, I swear to God, it's like 10 times easier. If you're just pointing it and like using the kind of little crappy sights that handguns have anyway, dude, yeah. I can miss those things all day long. I'm terrible at it. Well, it's embarrassing, especially if you're on a ladder and you have real people involved and a hostage and a little girl, yeah, and a dad. I mean, you're gonna, I yeah, I can't imagine. But that was his. That was his. The harbinger moment for him, right? It was like that's that was the catalyst for him. Yeah, it changed. It it basically created this shot IQ. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I can't be, I can't mess this up. Yeah. So that's cool. I mean, it's cool that, as crazy as that situation he was in, it's cool that it happened to him because now he's helping other people, you know, create this, this process so that they don't fuck those sort of situations up as much. I mean, there's always going to be screw ups, and yeah. we're going to not hit the target but minimizing it is i mean he created a system that he was able to teach his kid and his kid could hit a penny 60 times said, yeah, with an 60 arrow 60 times in a row that is insane like i can't even begin to imagine how difficult that is did they say how far away it was they did but i don't know if i wrote probably it down. like 30 40 yards like that type of a shot but god even at 10 yards that's insane. A penny is so small. There's yeah, with an no, arrow. Yeah. I mean, think about the whole mechanism of a bow as, as compared to, a, you know, a rifle that you have a stand for. I mean, then it's just about, and I'm not saying shooting with a rifle is that easy either, but it's much easier. You just, like, put it there, you keep adjusting it, and then breathe and 
get the crosshairs on it. I mean, holding the bow, your arm is out straight. The bow's aren't light. Mm-hmm. You've got pullback, which takes tension. So now you have tension while lining these things up. You've got to know where the dials are because each one is like different yardage. There's just so much more that goes into it. Follow through. Yeah. You know, because you can fire that thing and then move the bow like right away at the end and you'll completely jack your shot up. Well, especially if you're at my target shooting range uh, where I would sick Cujo on you while you're trying to set up your shot so that you could get into the process of yeah, yeah, that, shot IQ. That'd be too much. Do you think it? his kid would hit 60 uh, the penny 60 times in a row if he if a, if a dog was chasing him? <laughs> Probably not, dude. <laughs> and I don't know if this is a good idea for you to set this. <laughs> this is shooting range up. Okay, just use decoys though. Something. I mean, I'm I'm feeling okay. like this is a good idea. Oh, it could be like um, in those video they games. Pop up, yeah. The pop up there bad guys. There you go. Bad just guys. out of nowhere. Just well, they do that with cops, right? They have the bad guys pop up. But maybe... I don't know if they really do that. I think that's just for like movies. Do you really think they have like things they walk through and? and yeah. stuff pops up. I sure hope so, because they need to be in a simulation that's more high-stressed rather than just sitting and shooting at a target for an yeah, hour. Yeah, but they're just pictures of people. It's not very realistic. Yeah, but when they pop up, it's like jack-in-the-box. It's always going to scare you, dude, no matter what. I mean, it sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. Well, anyway, um, check those two out um, if you are interested in the creative process of writing and all the rest of it. Um Mark is great for for that one. And anything about shooting, if you're curious about bow hunting or you're a fan of it anyway, I mean, go check out his system, Shot IQ. He's got a great website. Um, he did spell the word process wrong <laughs> on the front of his website, so, so maybe we'll email him and let him know about that. But that's only because we're great copy editors there we go here at the bomb snow studios thank you guys as always we appreciate you and we'll talk to you next week peace out (laughs) 